You can take that with you. Okay. <laughs> if you have a Bible, <clears throat> turn to First um, Peter two verses eleven through seventeen, which we'll be reading from in just a second. And there are parts of the Bible that are very difficult, and one of the reasons we choose to preach through books of the Bible for a good portion of our sermon diet is because it forces us into topics that, frankly, no sane pastor would ever take on. And this section is one of those where he's talking about submitting to authority and whatever level of human institution that that might be and honoring human authority. And today he's going to be talking to us about honoring the government and the governors and and emperors and so forth, and how that might relate to us today. I have no idea if there'd be any implications whatsoever, but we're going to talk about this today. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, where our apostle Peter writes this, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. For ev- uh, Honor everyone, verse 17. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Peter wrote this letter to this church, this brand new church, that Christianity was in its infancy, um, this is the first century, and it's about 63 to 65 A.D. When, when he writes this. Nearly every human institution in, in these people's lives was against them because they had been baptized and were following Jesus Christ as Lord. In the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord, and you literally, to be a faithful part of that, that nation, would have to say that Caesar is Lord, and now these Christians are not able to do that because they are saying Christ alone is Lord, and they're not willing to enter into this cult of ideology and, and, and bowing their knee to Nero. And so he writes to these churches spread around what's modern-day Tur- Turkey, and he writes to them about their identity and, and calling them to suffer well under these institutions that are persecuting them in small ways as he writes this letter, but in catastrophic ways just years later with martyrdom. What should they do? What is he going to say to them? Should they retreat? Should they leave the city of the world and go establish the city of God somewhere outside and, and start their own city? Should they leave? Should they, should they not care? Should they fight? Should they take up arms against their oppressors? Well, what we find here is Peter doesn't call them to run away. He doesn't call them to take up arms, nor does he see Christians being compromised by culture. He says, warns them, do not be sucked in by culture, and at the same time, don't be leaving it either. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of the world, right? 
not being compromised on the one hand and, and not fleeing on the other. Instead, he's writing to them, calling them to be holy. And in their holiness and being a distinct people, he says for them to honor the human institutions of authority that are around them and to submit and to serve them in such a way that it might lead to life change and even to um, a change in the culture itself. In chapter 2, verse 11, Peter urges us and them to live and to see their identity as exiles and as sojourners. One who sojourns is like somebody doesn't have a home. They're, they're constantly on the move. They're living out of tents and that kind of thing. He says that to them because, honestly, God's people has all, have always had their identity as exiles and sojourners. The early uh, followers of God, Yahweh, uh, were the Israelites, right? They had a land that was promised to them, and yet almost immediately after God calls Abraham, early on into their generations, they are enslaved by Egypt. They spend 400 years in slavery as exiles and sojourners. Then, when, when Moses does his ministry, and through the power of God, they are released out of slavery, they then enter, enter in a time of sojourning and wandering in the desert for 40 years, and then when they get in the land, they're still not at home because there's foreign gods and foreign people that aren't excited to have them in the land. They have always felt like exiles and sojourners, and he's calling these people, who were probably most likely not literally exiled or sojourners, to see their identity as such. To see in this culture that they're living, to bear up and suffer well as, I, as, I, as people who are exiles and sojourning. Now, for them, honestly, it wasn't that difficult to have that mentality because as soon as they were baptized and followed Jesus, they were immediately placed in opposition to these human institutions and authorities. Whether that was Nero, whether that was the governor, whether it was the local pro-council, they were in immediate opposition. Whether that was a slave who's now having to relate to his master or her master because slavery was a huge institution in the Roman Empire. An unbelieving master now put them in opposition to their employer. We'll see this next week, so to speak. If you're, an unbelie- if, if you're a wife being married to an unbelieving spouse, right, a husband, now you, you're in opposition to your husband. How do you bear up under that? This is what Peter is addressing in this context. It was easy for them to see themselves as exiles and sojourners because immediately their, their baptism and their faith put them in opposition to culture, right? It's easy for Christians in China to feel that way today, right? If you're a Christian in China, you can easily identify with what Peter is saying by saying, I do feel like an exile and I do feel like a sojourner because even though I'm living in my hometown, maybe in the house that I grew up in, I am in opposition to the institutions that surround me, correct? Not so easy for people who grew up in the United States that followed Jesus to see themselves as exiles and sojourners. That would be me. That would be you, most likely. Not easy to see yourself as an exile and a sojourner for the longest time in America. And we can debate whether America is or was a Christian nation at any given moment. But what we know was true until very recently, that if you became a Christian and followed Jesus, that didn't put you outside of the mainstream of culture. It put you more in the middle of mainstream of culture until recently. Are you with me? So to be a Christian in America for the longest time didn't place you out of the mainstream. It put you right in the sort of the middle of where culture was in terms of its assumptions, its values, its ethics. 
Not so much anymore, but for the longest time, yes. Now, though, we're wringing our hands and are concerned because we find ourselves as Christians, perhaps not in the mainstream, not in the central place where culture is, and we say to ourselves, what are we to do? We don't have a place at the table like we used to. The president may not share our convictions. Our, our U.S. senator may or may not share our conviction. Our governor, our whatever, our city council person, our teachers, our neighbors, etc., etc. and we wonder, what are we to do? And so I think there's a positive in this, and it's difficult, but for the first time, church, maybe ever in our history as a nation, we are more able to live out of this biblical identity as exiles and sojourners as the church has always meant to see themselves. And there has been a great danger in this, in that for the longest time we have seen the Christian faith and culture in the United States as synonymous. And the problem with that is that leads to a great danger because the ways in which the biblical story are not lining up with the American story, we can adopt the American story as the biblical story and become idolaters. I'm a patriot. I love this country. But there are ways in which the biblical story does not line up with the American story, and yet there have been so many times that we have believed more the American story, consumerism, power, influence, celebrity, a million other things, more than the story that God is actually telling us. I don't know about you, but when I read this book, one millions upon millions of editions and translations and in English, written in Greek and Hebrew over 2,000 years ago. Bunch of different authors. But when I pick it up and I read this book, it doesn't matter where. The Holy Spirit, if I'm listening, I don't always, will speak. And I don't know about you, but when I read God's word with a listening ear and have ears to hear, as Jesus said, and listen to what God's word says, I don't know about you, but he doesn't usually tell me, you are killing it, Scott. You are doing exactly what I'm telling you to do. Keep it up. I agree with all of your assumptions about sex and money and power and fame and your future and your family and all that. Like, you're just dead on, dude. Keep it up. You rock for me. Is that what you hear from the Holy Spirit? Thank you. <laughs> and as I read God's word with a listening ear, what I hear God's word tell me is repent. Because Scott, there are so many ways in which your life does line up with where I want you to be, but there are so, so many ways that it does not. Repent. And align yourself with my story, Scott. It's not about you. That may be the main message of the Bible. You know that? It's not about you. It's about God's glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Not glorify yourself and live for yourself and make it all about you. That's my story. That's the American story. Far too long, these two stories have, have crossed over and it's not been healthy. We're called to live as exiles and sojourners. Amen? And so for now, for the first time, scary as it may be, we may be able to live out of this identity that we're called to live out of. Exiles. Sojourners. And it's a scary thing to assume that your culture and the Bible are the same. 
Phil Robertson, you know who that is? Duck Dynasty dude. Long beard. You know, ZZ Top looking fella. <laughs> he recalled his experience in an interview in 2013, uh, growing up poor and white in, in Louisiana, growing up among uh, working in farms and cotton fields and so forth. And he said this, and it caused quite an uproar. He said, I never with my own eyes saw the mistreatment of any black person. <laughs> now, I want you to think about that for a second. Like, this caused a stir, and if it doesn't cause a stir in you, you're not thinking. I never with my own eyes saw the mistreatment of a black person. He went on to say they were happy and they were godly and they were singing hymns in the field. And that may have been true, but meanwhile, they were living under the law of Jim Crow. You didn't see a black person mistreated under the systematized evil of the Jim Crow laws? Really? They couldn't vote? They couldn't sit in a bus with you? They couldn't drink out of the same water fountain? And I never saw them mistreated. Now, he's a Christian. I'm not saying he isn't. I actually think he is. But what I think he's done and what the South did in the church in the South during the Civil War era and during the Civil Rights era and probably still some today is seeing the Southern story and the biblical story as one and that leads you into great evil if you're not careful. Amen? The same is true for us throughout the United States. We're called to live as sojourners and exiles as it relates to culture, but to love the culture as well and not flee. Christ is not against culture. Christ wants to transform culture through the power of his word and the gospel. Eugene Peterson has become one of my favorite authors. He was a pastor. He wrote the message, which is the Bible, so he didn't write it. He put it in common language. He was a pastor for a long time. He was a theologian, etc. He wrote this. It is the oldest religious mistake refusing to countenance, which means see. So it's the oldest religious mistake refusing to see any difference between God and us. Imagining God to be a vague extrapolation of our own desires. This is what we often do. And this is what cultures do. What I think about this is what God thinks. What, God, what I think about politics, economics, policy, immigration, whatever, God is on my side. And what he's saying is there's a grave, grave area if you're not concerned, error. There is a grave error in this if you're not careful of baptizing what you think and God thinks into the same thing. Be very, very, very careful of that. That's the introduction. We have three points today. To whom do we honor? Why do we honor? And how do we honor? To whom? Why? And how? First of all, to whom? Verse 17 in our passage. So we start in verse 11, end in verse 17, but I want to go to the, the last verse first, where he says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is what people who study language call a chiasm. On the one hand, you have honor everyone, okay? On the end of this verse is honor the emperor, who's in everyone. And so what he's saying is, I'm saying the same thing. I want you to honor everyone, including this horrible king that we have named Nero that's ultimately going to kill me and crucify me upside down. Honor him too. He's just a human, but honor him. Respect the authority. Offer submission humbly. 
and with wisdom. In the middle of this verse, you have love the brothers and sisters. The core of Christianity is what? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. Honor everybody. Love one another. Brothers, sisters, love one another. Love one another. Fear God. That word fear means obey. We obey God. We defer to the king. We obey God. We love one another and we obey God. We must, as free people, he says, but with our freedom, don't use it as an excuse for evil, to be stupid and foolish and evil. He says, you're free. You're not ultimately a citizen of Nero's kingdom. You're a citizen of my coming kingdom. Now be wise as a free person. Even if you're a slave, you're free because why? Because you're my king. You're, you're, you know, I'm your king. You're a citizen of my kingdom. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Obey God. Honor the king. Wisely. And out of this, I want you to see how revolutionary this is. <coughs> Honor everyone. Honor slaves. They have no rights, they have no privileges, they're poor, they're indebted, they mean nothing, they're not citizens of the Roman Empire. But Peter says, but if they're in Christ, they're citizens of the kingdom of God, and it doesn't matter, which is way better than being a citizen of Rome. So honor everyone, honor women, no one said that in that culture. Honor children, no one said that in that culture. Honor slaves, honor the trash collector, honor the the cook at the fast food restaurant, the, the slob at <laughs> whatever, the, the homeless person, the person you're judging or you think is a bad person. Like, honor everyone, he says. This is revolutionary. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 14, he then gets more specific, though, about honoring the king. Be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That is what government is supposed to do, roughly speaking. Punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. Uphold justice, right? Justice. Justice for the poor, justice for the wealthy, justice for the oppressed, justice for those who aren't oppressed, justice for all people. I never saw a black person oppressed in the South. Justice for all people is what he's saying. This is what government is supposed to be doing. But at the same time, honor and subject yourself. Show humility. That's what we are called to do. Now, submitting to any authority is so hard. It's hard as Americans, we autonomous, independent American people who, I don't want to bow my knee to you. I didn't vote for you. I voted for the other person, you know? I don't like you. I'm going to blog about you. I'm going to get on social media and tell everyone how horrible you are, you know? I don't want to submit to you, right? Meanwhile, <laughs> as Americans, it's difficult to submit and, and to be someone who places themselves under authority, but that's not just an American condition. That is a human condition. It started with the original sin. One of my first examples of like placing myself under authority was when I joined the freshman football team. 
we just moved to Kentucky. Uh, I didn't know anyone. I'm joining this team, and I can't wait to to be a part of a a team and a football team and so forth. But I had been a latchkey kid, you know? I let myself in. Both my parents worked. I came home and uh, let myself in, got a snack. I played until the sun went down. Then when I came home, everyone else went back to their house with their parents, got ready for dinner. I sat in an empty house alone, waiting for my parents to get home, and would eat junk food and watch Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I was not used to a great deal of discipline, is what I'm about to, we're trying to tell you, or authority in my life. Then I joined, I joined a football team in the South, <laughs> okay? These people are intense about authority. You say yes, sir, and no, sir, to everybody, not just football coaches, everybody, but I wasn't aware of that rule, that cultural norm. Yes, sir. No, sir. You don't say that. You're running. You talk back. You're dying. I mean, it's just this authoritative structure that I could not imagine. I'd never seen anything like it. I kept thinking to myself, this must be against the law in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. (laughs) What they're doing to us, making us run, and yes, sir, this isn't the military, right? I mean, at least a federal statute, something. (laughs) The great theologian John Stott said this, sin is the revolt of the self against God. It's the revolt, the revolution of the self over and against God. The dethronement of God. I want to tear you down, God. No one ever thinks of it this way, but this is what sin is. I won't listen to you. I will do life my own way. You say this, I'm going to do this. You've warned me about this, I'm going to forget it anyway. And every time we do that, what we say is this. I know better than you. You're the authority, the ultimate authority. You're God, but I'm not going to submit to that. I will submit to myself about whatever issue it is. Sin is the revolution of the self against God, the dethronement of God with a view to the enthronement of oneself. (coughs) Ultimately, sin is self-deception. And self-deification, the restless determination to occupy the throne which belongs, belongs to God alone. We, we hate what he's saying here. Subject yourself. Defer to authority. Every human institution, defer. Submit. Serve. And I want to remind you that, again, he's not talking about the United States where you elected your officials. He's talking about Rome. You know, where Nero, they had a Senate and they had a bit of a democracy and so forth, but they were talking about Nero. He executed his own mother, Nero did. He killed his adopted brother and eventually he started killing Christians in a mass way, including ultimately Peter and the Apostle Paul. So this is not an easy word for Peter to give. Humble yourself before every human institution and authority. Next, why do we honor? Why? The first one that I'm not going to spend much time on is this, to obey God. God commands it, that's why. (laughs) It's like your parents, well, you know, kids, like, well, why do I have to obey you? Because God told you to, you know, that's... So, first of all, to honor God is to do his word, and his word is saying so. So that, that'd be the first reason. The secondary reason I want to talk about that Peter mentions is this, for the sake of mission. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, these are non-Jews, honorable so that they may speak when they speak against you as evildoers, and that's what was happening. They were in this culture saying, these are evildoers, they won't bow to Rome. 
they may see your good deeds instead and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct so good among the people outside of the church. You're serving in such a way, loving in such a way, sacrificing in such a way that they rise up and say, I want to glorify God with you. Share with me the hope that you have. This is what Peter says at the end of this letter. What, why do you have this hope? And you know what's amazing? This worked. <laughs> what is one of the most central cities in Christian history? Whether you agree theologically with that church or not. Rome. The Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> How did the Roman Empire become a Christianized empire only 265 years after this? It wasn't through power. It wasn't through military revolution. It was when things got bad in the city of Rome and in the city of that empire, the Christians stayed when everyone else fled. Two major plagues decimated that empire, started killing everyone. Everyone else left as the city is burning and people are dying, but the Christians stayed and served and died with the dying, caring for them. And Rodney Stark, the well-known sociologist, says that is what converted Rome to Christianity. They didn't flee. They didn't leave. They humbled themselves and served when things got bad. And it led to a mass missionary movement of people coming to Christ, even Constantine, the emperor. Reminds me of Jeremiah 29.7. The Old Testament prophet says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I, God, have sent you into exile. This theme of exile and sojourning again, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare as well. Seek the good, the blessing of this nation and this city. We are not to retreat. We're not to leave. We're to seek the good, but to not be compromised and to put our hope into false hopes. It's through Christ that things can change. He is our king. Finally, how do we honor Literally, Peter says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So again, when you bow your knee to the president, when you bow your knee to the governor, the senator, the local city council person, the police officer, your teacher, your parent, your boss, whatever, you are doing that for the Lord's sake because this is how God has arranged things. He's not saying that every institution is right, like slavery, but he is saying this, is honor those who are in authority. Remembering that our ultimate allegiance is always to Christ, always to him first. You obey Christ. You honor humans. But how can we do that? We're all latchkey kids. <laughs> We're all in rebellion. We all want to do what we want to do. We all want to do the proverbial Gilligan's Island and Pepsi and like, you know, just junk food all day. Like we don't want mom and dad to come home and tell us what to do. Like we want to do what we want to do. Netflix into oblivion, you know? <laughs> Video games all day, all night. It's summer. It's 117 degrees out. This is what's going down, right? I mean, this is what you want to do. 
So how can you, in your rebellious heart and my rebellious heart, get to the point where you want to serve, you want to honor, you want to be a person that loves the brothers and the sisters and fear God? Well, functionally and finally, it's this. It's by realizing that when you submit, you're being Christ-like and you're being holy. Friends, I couldn't preach the gospel to you this morning if Christ had not submitted to the Father. Was he equal with God? He was God. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He wasn't a son who became God through obedience. He was and is and always will be God. Amen? Jesus Christ is fully God, always was fully God, always will be fully God, and became a suffering servant on our behalf. He loved and obeyed the Father in everything. Jesus said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. I only say things I hear the Father saying to me. And then, as a human being, in his hour of need before the crucifixion, you know the story. He sweat drops of blood and he cried out in agony, let this cup pass. If it be possible, let this cup pass me by. And the Father in his silence said, this cup will not pass. And I thank God that the, the Son said to the Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Right? That I can tell you today that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you hope and trust in Jesus Christ and follow Him and obey Him and walk with Him, you are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he submitted to the Father in everything. He, though being God himself, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he became a servant. Amen. And because he served, because he submitted, I am not weak when I submit myself to other authorities. I am Christ-like. And so are you. Be like Jesus. Some application as we close in light of that, in light of the gospel. How do we live this out? And for just a second, I want to press pause, okay? And I want to give you like a brief commentary, my own personal commentary that you may or may not agree with. I feel like this is the most discouraging presidential election I've ever seen in my entire life. You may not agree. You may like one of these two candidates. I personally... I would not feel good about either of them serving as, because of their virtue and character, I'm just being totally, this is not Pastor Scott, this is Scott the guy, okay? Not that I speak from the throne, I'm just saying like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, yeah, not, this is just Scott talking as a dude, but I'm telling you, I'm not excited about them being, you know, Kyrene school board president, (laughs) let alone president of the United States, either. And I really think right now we have two options. So in light of that, what are we to do? If you agree with me, what are we to do? First, back to the sermon, okay? The first thing we're to do is not move to Canada. Write it down, okay? Uh, Not moving to Canada. I was going to do that. You've all said you're going to do that. Like, it's Mexico or Canada. It's the polar extremes. You're going one way or the other. I've heard that a million times. Well, moving to Canada. No, you're not. But don't, don't even plan on moving because why? Because when things get bad, when Rome is burning, when plagues are going down, Christians don't flee. 
nor are they assimilated into culture they serve. It's time for us more than ever to say, I am not primarily a citizen of the United States. Though I am, I am primarily a citizen of the kingdom of God that will reflect the glory of God and his beauty in the midst of a difficult culture. And I will bring hope to this place, and I will bring service to this place, and I will bring love to this place, even as the city burns. So we don't go to Canada. You can go visit, okay? But you live here. God may call you there, I don't know. (laughs) Second is this, quit losing hope. I have to tell myself this. You aren't supposed to feel at home here. And you're still supposed to have hope. We are freaking out because we're used to being everything okay and mainstream when we follow Jesus here. That day is done. In my heart, I am closing the door to that. And I, you say, you're so negative. No, I, this is how I get hope. I'm saying I think that chapter in our history, for now at least, is closed. And now it's time for us to enter a posture of humility and mission and say, it is like Peter, we are supposed to bear up in suffering and hope and service. And we don't assimilate and we don't just say, let Rome burn either, okay? We serve, we run for office, we pray, we try to make changes, we, we uphold holiness and godliness, but we do not lose hope. No matter who gets elected, we do not lose hope because we have a king of kings who's always been king and always will be king and he's a returning king and he's gonna usher in his kingdom and we get to live in that kingdom for all of eternity. So we can bear up for the next 30, 40, 50, 200 years or whatever it is that that God may see fit to, to allow to happen in this country, but we can bear up with hope. Third is this, do good. Do good to silence fools, Peter says. Don't be a fool. Frankly, I think we're being foolish at times. I got off social media because I'm so discouraged lately by all the foolishness. Even from us. Let's not be foolish. Let's be hopeful. Let's not be despondent. Let's be so hopeful in the midst of this horrible crisis, I think it is, that people say, how can you be so hopeful? Because I have a king that you can't unelect that I have a king that you can't dethrone. Because I have a king that no matter what you do, no matter what you vote, no matter what you say, is right and true and good and holy. And when he returns, he will execute justice for all. Justice will roll like like thunder and like streams, the Bible says. Why? Because we have a king who loves justice. And the right will win. And the good will win. And we can put our hope in Jesus Christ who will return. One, don't move to Canada. Two, don't lose hope. Three, do good. Be be a blessing. Fourth, one of you, please run for office. (laughs) And I will vote for you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your table... We're thankful that we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. No matter who is president, no matter who is on the throne, you are ultimately on the throne. And we thank you that all you have done for us to make us right with you, and that Jesus, though God, submitted himself to your will and did not consider equality with God his to own, but he gave it up as a servant. 
We thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.